السلام عليكم ورحمة الله وبركاته بسم الله الرحمن الرحيم الحمد لله رب العالمين اللهم صل وسلم وبارك على نبينا محمد وعلى آله وصحبه أجمعين أما بعد In our previous lesson we finished the tafsir of, of Surah Al-Asr and one of the, uh, and the following surah obviously that we're going to begin this week inshallah is Surah Al-Takathur uh, One of the interesting points that Shaykh Muhammad Al-Amin rahimahullah mentions in his tafsir and I think I mentioned this before Adwa'ul Bayan is his famous tafsir book and what it primarily uh, focuses on or the, the style of tafsir that it focuses on is what we call tafsir al-Qur'an bil-Qur'an. So that's tafsir of the Qur'an with the Qur'an, right? So he's explaining verses of the Qur'an using other verses of the Qur'an. And that doesn't mean that he doesn't bring in hadith or he doesn't bring in, um, you know, statements of the companions and scholars and so on. But he's primarily concentrating on the verses of the Qur'an, the other verses of the Qur'an that are will explain as well. So there will be parts of the surah that he doesn't really focus on or touch upon in much detail. Then other parts of the surah, because it's a concept that is repeated throughout the Quran, mentioned elsewhere, he goes into detail. This is his, his famous work, Adwa'ul Bayan, but the Shaykh Rahimahullah passed away before he could complete the book, before he finished authoring the book. I can't remember exactly now how far he got, but he, he got a certain, you know, good distance through, and then he passed away, Rahimahullah. Then his student, uh, Shaykh Muhammad Atiyah Salim, Rahimahullah, uh, he took over and he and he completed the rest of the book. And Shaykh Muhammad Al-Amin, I think only died like maybe 40 odd years ago, 50 years ago, so it's not like really, really old. Um, you know, he's one of the the early uh, professors at the Islamic University of Medina when it was first opened. He was one of the first, or from amongst the first uh, ulama and shaykh to be brought into that university to start teaching. So, and the university has only been open like 50, 60 years. So it's not like, you know, like very, very old. And, and likewise, the student Shaykh Muhammad Atiyah Salim was also one of the first professors in that university. So the point being that he mentions in his tafsir, or rather his student as he's finishing off his tafsir, uh, relates from his teacher that he makes a link between the three surahs that we've covered uh, recently. Surah Al-Humaza, which we finished, Surah Al-Asr, which we finished, and Surah Al-Kathur that we're beginning with now. And what he says is, Surah Al-Asr, Allah Azza wa speaks, as we mentioned about the concept of time and how people are in a state of loss, unless and until they have iman and righteous deeds and they advise one another with the truth and they advise one another with patience and he says the surah that comes before and after which is surah takathur and surah humaza both of them are examples of loss right? they're examples that allah gives of states of loss because of certain things that people do and because of certain sins that people engage in and certain things that divert people away from Allah Azza wa Jalla and make them heedless of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And Allah Azza wa Jalla in the middle mentions Surah Al-Asr as the principle, as, the, as the, you know, the foundation, as the basis. But before and after, people are told these are examples of a state of loss. So in Surah Al-Humaza, right, we mention how Allah Azza wa Jalla speaks about people who slander, people who scorn, people who mock, people who their whole existence is about gathering wealth and thinking that wealth will give them eternity or longevity and how Allah Azza wa disabuses them of that notion and of that concept by mentioning the word kalla and that word kalla is a word that will be repeated a number of times in this surah also in surah al-takathur. Surah al-takathur is a surah that speaks also about the concept of loss from a different angle and it's a concept that, has, that is mentioned uh, 
somewhat in Surah Al-Humazah, but it is mentioned now in more general terms. And that is how the constant uh, amassing of the dunya, whatever that may be, any type of, any type of excess gathering and amassing which diverts you away from Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, that leads a person to a state of loss. It leads a person to being diverted away from Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And so he makes the connection between these three surahs, Surah Al-Takathu, Surah Al-Asr, and Surah Al-Humaza. Surah Al-Takathur, in the uh, opinion of the majority of the scholars of Tafsir, is a Makki Surah, meaning that it is a pre-Hijri Surah, right, revealed before the migration to Medina. And this is mentioned uh, in statement form, like as narrations from scholars who said this explicitly, from the companion Abdullah ibn Abbas, radiallahu anhuma, and from the scholars of Tafsir and the Tabi'een, Ikrima al-Hasan, Qatada, and al-Zuhri, rahimahumullah. And then many of the scholars of Tafsir, Ibn Hazm, al-Baghawi, Ibn Kathir, many of them took that position, and they said that it is a Makki surah. Some of them went even a step further, and they said that it is a position or a, an opinion or a point of consensus, an agreement. There is no difference of opinion. For example, Ibn Atiyah, rahimahullah, says in his tafsir, it is a Makki surah. I don't know of any difference of opinion in this. Ibn al-Jawzi said the same thing. It is a Makki surah by consensus of the scholars of Tafsir. And Imam al-Shawkani, rahimahullah, says, It is a Makki surah with all of them, meaning amongst the scholars of Tafsir. However, then Imam al-Shawkani himself mentions another opinion. Right? So he mentions that there's ijma' right? and the concept of consensus among some scholars can mean that even if there is one or two people that disagree, they would still consider it to be a point of consensus, right? because it is you know, the vast majority, the overwhelming majority. But both he, uh, al-Imam al-Shawkani and al-Imam al-Qurtubi, rahimahumullah in the tafsir, they mention another opinion, and that is that it is reported on Imam al-Bukhari that he has a narration, that he narrates from someone else, that this surah is a madani surah. And there are narrations that are mentioned in, in some of the books of Tafsir, Muqatil and others from amongst the scholars of Tafsir. There's like two or three that said actually it is a Madani Surah, meaning that it was revealed post-Hijrah, not pre-Hijrah, but post-Hijrah. And Al-Imam Al-Suyuti, Rahimahullah Ta'ala, in his book on uh, Quranic sciences, the sciences of the Quran, which is called Al-Itqan, Fi Ulum Al-Quran, he says, وَهَوَ الْمُخْتَارِ he says concerning this opinion, and that is the opinion that I have chosen. It is the chosen opinion. So he's basically going against you know, the vast majority of the scholars of tafsir, all of those statements, in every, and he's kind of going with the minority opinion. Why is there a difference of opinion? Uh, you know, the vast majority is saying it's Mecki. Why is there this slight difference of opinion? Why are these two, three, four people saying, or these two or three, four scholars saying, that it is a Madani Surah, they base this upon the second verse of this Surah. Right? What's the second verse of the Surah? Hatta zurtumul maqabir, until you visit the graves. Right? And they say that the concept of graves and the punishment of the grave, that concept, is a, a concept that is known, uh, you know, like in Islamic study, until post-Hijrah. It's not a concept that you find mentioned by the Prophet. It's not something which you went into in terms of speaking about that concept of 
the, the rewards of the grave and the punishment of the grave and the life of the grave and the barzakh and that whole thing only occurs post-hijrah in the Madani period. So the fact that Allah Azza wa is referring to this hatta zurtumul maqabir shows that therefore it is a concept that is, uh, you know, is, it relates more to the Madani era, the post-hijrah era. And so therefore that's why this surah must be a Madani surah. The vast majority of the scholars don't accept this. Number one, because you have the statements of those scholars of tafsir, including, you know, not least of which is Abdullah ibn Abbas, radiyallahu anhumah, but also because just because a concept is mentioned but not elaborated upon until later, doesn't mean that the surah has to be therefore a madani surah. Right? It's possible that Allah Azza wa can speak about something which isn't then mentioned in detail until much later on. And that concept is mentioned later on in greater detail, um, but therefore it can still be a, a Makki surah. And Allah Azza wa Jal uh, knows best. Um, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, oh, sorry, the names of this surah, so this surah has a number of names by which it is known by. The first one is the name that we you know, all know it by, and it's its most famous and common name, and that is at takathur right, takathur and that's mentioned, Imam Al-Tirmidhi mentions it in his collection of hadith, and Nasai does the same thing when he's referring to it in his collection of hadith. Ibn Hazm, rahimahullah ta'ala, who's a famous scholar, he has, Ibn Hazm has a famous book called, uh, in, in the Quranic sciences, called An-Nasikh wal-Mansukh, when he, where he deals and he concentrates on abrogated verses. So the abrogated verses of the Quran, he refers to it as Surah Al-Takathur, Ibn Atiyah in his tafsir, Ibn Kathir, Al-Shawkani, and many others refer to it as At-Takathur. And usually when we speak about the names of the surahs of the Qur'an, uh, the name that it becomes known by over time, unless it's something which is mentioned by the Prophet in the hadith or something of that, of that sort, those names are usually names which become more prominent and well-known much later on, right, in, in terms of Islamic scholarship. This is a name which even in the books of hadith, like At-Tirmidhi and Nasa'i, it is a name which seems to have, uh, you know, from the beginning, it's something which which uh, seems to have, have become fairly well known because Imam Al-Tirmidhi, Imam Al-Nasai, we're talking about third century of Islam, right? Those scholars lived in that third century. However, the other two names, or possibly even the, the three names, because there's four names in total, are names that were known before that. So even before uh, Al-Tirmidhi and Al-Nasai and their likes. The first, or the, from the other names, the first one is the first verse, Al-Hakum Al-Takathur, right? And that's very common. You know, we mentioned at the beginning of every surah, one of the most common things that the scholars of Tafsir is to do is just call the surah by the name of the first verse. Surah Wal-Asr, Surah Li-Ilafi Quraysh, Surah Tabbat Yada Abil, and so on, right? And it's just call it the first verse. So Al-Hakum Al-Takathur, that's mentioned by Ibn Abbas, radiyallahu anhuma, that referred to it as Surah Al-Hakum Al-Takathur, and Al-Imam Al-Zuhri. Rahimahullah Ta'ala. Imam Al-Zuhri is from the famous scholars of the Tabi'een. The second name that it is known by is just the first word, Surah Al-Hakum, which again is also very common in the books of Tafsir, especially if it's a longer verse, rather than mentioning the whole thing, Surah Tabbat Yada, Surah Ida Jaa, Surah, you know, and just like take the first two, three words of the first verse, and the Surah is named after them. So in this case, Surah Al-Hakum. And that's mentioned uh, as a narration from Imam al-Hassan al-Basri, Rahimahullah Ta'ala, al-Hassan al-Basri is considered to be 
from the most illustrious scholars of the Tabi'een, from the students of the companions, certainly on the likes of Abdullah ibn Mas'ud radiallahu an, and he is credited with you know, one of the people who after the era of the companions spread Islamic knowledge in that era of Iraq and obviously from that place, that's the place where Imam Abu Hanifa, Imam Ahmad and many great scholars would later on emerge. Al-Hasan al-Basri therefore calls it Surah Al-Hakum and Imam Al-Tabari rahimahullah ta'ala in his tafsir refers to it is as Surah Al-Hakum and Al-Imam Al-Bukhari rahimahullah in his Sahih in Sahih Al-Bukhari he refers to this surah in surah as surah al-hakum right and imam al-bukhari in his tafsir has a whole book called kitab al-tafsir right so a whole chapter or a whole book as they're called because in the book you have different chapters but the whole book of tafsir he has narrations and when he refers to surahs he often refers to them unless they're known by a name from a hadith he often refers to them either with the first verse or with the first word or two or three of that first verse. So Imam Bukhari also calls it Al-Hakum. So those are the three names that are pretty like well-known and I think pretty, you know, like easy to, to kind of deduce. Al-Hakum Al-Takathur, Al-Hakum and Al-Takathur. Right? Those are the three names. The fourth name, which is mentioned by uh, Ibn Abi Hatim, Rahimahullah, Ibn Abi Hatim has a famous book of tafsir, I don't think we've mentioned this before, Tafsir ibn Abi Hatim is one of the early collections of Tafsir bil Ma'thur, a book of Tafsir of narrations, where he just gathers narration after narration after narration concerning Tafsir. Uh, and Imam Suyuti rahimahullah also mentions this, uh, this particular name. But Ibn Abi Hatim is the one who narrated it, and everyone else narrates it from Ibn Abi Hatim. He says, and he narrates from a scholar by the name of Sa'id ibn Abi Hilal, that he said, كان أصحاب رسول الله صلى الله عليه وسلم يسمون الهاكم التكاثر المقبرة. The companions of the Prophet صلى الله عليه وسلم used to call Surah الهاكم التكاثر or they would it was known amongst them as المقبرة. What does المقبرة mean? Graveyard. Right, graveyard. Why is why are they calling it graveyard? Because of verse number two. حتى زرتم المقابر. مقابر means graves. مقبرة means graveyard so he's saying that this is why it was you know something which was known amongst them um, and so therefore you know irrespective of whether that narration is is strong or weak or whatever it may be or it is a name that has stuck us a name that that is mentioned in the books of tafsir as being one of the names of this surah so therefore we have four names in total surah al-hakum al-takathur surah al-hakum Surah At-Takathur and Surah Al-Maqbara. Right? It is known by those four names. Obviously, in our time, you know, At-Takathur is the one that it's well known by. It's the one that's written all of the Qur'ans and so on. And that's the one that most people, uh, you know, will use in referring to the Surah. It is a Surah that consists of eight verses. And it's a Surah which is mentioned in a number of a hadith of the Prophet ﷺ uh, in, 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 in the context of the theme of the surah and what this surah speaks about in terms of subject matter. The first hadith is the hadith of Abdullah ibn al-Shakhir radiyallahu an, collected in a tirmidhi. But he said, أَنَّهُ انْتَهَا إِلَى النَّبِيِّ صَلَى اللَّهُ عَلَيْهُ وَسَلَّمْ وَهُوَ يَقْرَأُ أَلْهَاكُمُ التَّكَاثُرُ قَالَ يَقُولُ ابْنُ آدَمْ مَا لِي مَا لِي وَهَلْ لَكَ مِنْ مَا لِكَ إِلَّا مَا تَصَدَّقْتَ فَأَمْضَيْتْ he said this companion Abdullah ibn Shakhir radiallahu anhu, he said that he came to the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam 
whilst he was reciting Surah Al-Hakum Al-Takathur. Right? And this shows you, you know, in the time of the companions, therefore, you know, the name, one of the names or the name that is kind of known by, as Ibn Abbas mentions, is Al-Hakum Al-Takathur. Right? He doesn't say he was reading Al-Takathur. He says he was reading Al-Hakum Al-Takathur. He says, so the Prophet then said that the child of Adam says, it is my wealth, it is my wealth. The Prophet said, and do you have of your wealth except for what you give in sadaqah? And so therefore you will find, later meaning in the next life, or you eat and it leaves your body, or you spend on clothing you wear and then it disintegrates. That is all the wealth that you have, right? And this is you know, something which is mentioned in, in other hadith as well, or a similar concept, that the Prophet used to often say that the wealth that you benefit from is either what you've eaten and consumed, or the clothes that you're wearing on your back that you will, you know, then outgrow or outuse, or they will, they will be no longer worthy of wearing, or the wealth that you give in sadaqah, and you will find it in the next life in terms of reward. So you have the hadith of Aisha, radiallahu anha, for example, when uh, the Prophet when there was some food or uh, an animal that they had slaughtered and they'd eaten from it, and the Prophet came to her. And she said, O oh, Messenger of Allah, this is all that's remaining because they'd given the rest away in sadaqah. They'd given a third away or something in sadaqah. She said, O oh, Messenger of Allah, this is what's remaining. He said, No, rather, this is what's been wasted. Right? What's remaining is what we gave. This is what we will eat and use and it will go. There's not really anything that we will gain from this. What we gave in sadaqah, that's what we benefit. That's what remains. Right? And so that concept is something which, uh, which is therefore mentioned in other hadith of the Prophet So in this hadith, the Prophet is saying the same thing, right? People have become uh, distracted by the massing of wealth, by, by constantly wanting more and more and more. And people say, it's my money, it's my money, it's my money. And there's a statement similar, I think it's from Ali radiallahu when he used to say that your wealth is what you've spent in terms of goodness and what you will find in the next life. As for everything else that you saved, isn't yours. Because you will die, and your children or your, you know, the people that inherit from you will take that. And your house will be lived in with, with you know, other people will come and they will uh, use it as their own home. And the possessions that you have will be distributed. So what's left of you is nothing. Right? You don't have anything. None of you, it's your possession. You're kind of keeping it safe until someone else comes and they inherit, inherit it from you. What you have is actually what you, what you give away. And there's a narration, I think it is of Ali or Ibn Mas'ud radiallahu anhu, one of them, that they came to a grave and, and they stood there for a while. And then they said to the people around them, when they were asked, what's wrong, why, are you, why have you gone quiet? They said, I, if I could ask these people of the grave a question and they could ask me a question, I would ask them, when you passed away, which action did you find most beneficial in the sight of Allah? Which of the deeds that you performed did you find had the most weight in front of Allah Azza wa And you have similar statements, right? Where uh, I think we mentioned this last week, I think, or unless I mentioned in a different lecture, in which case, ignore me. But the, where some of the scholars had passed away and then another scholar saw them in a dream and they asked them, from all of the work that you did, all of the hadith that you narrated, all of the, all of the sadaqah that you gave, all the students that you taught, what is the one action that you saw benefited you the most in your grave? And they said it was teaching young children how to read Surah Al-Fatiha because that's something which they went on to use and to pray and to teach others and so on. And they found its reward great. And it's done when you teach a child 
Surah Fatiha, there's no showing off, there's no praise, no accolades, you know, no one's putting your face on, on, on Facebook, you know, on YouTube for that stuff. It is purely and sincerely for Allah's sake. I found that to be the most in terms of benefit. So, yeah, Su'adi radiallahu anhu said, if I could ask them, I would ask them that question. What action did you find most beneficial in the sight of Allah? And he says, and I think if they could speak to me, they would ask me, what happened to our wife, our wives, you know, our spouses, our children, and our wealth? And I would say to them, as for your wives or your spouses, they remarried. And as for your children, they remembered you for a few days and then they forgot you. They moved on with their lives. And as for the wealth that you spent your whole life amassing, it's been distributed. Right? It's, it's just gone. It doesn't belong to you anymore. Now people have taken their shares from it. And so that's what the Prophet is saying here as well. We spend so much time thinking it's our money, gathering, gathering money, money, money. But actually, none of that stuff is really ours. The thing that belongs to us and what we benefit from is what we use for the next life. And that has to be put into context because that doesn't mean obviously that you leave your children poor, that you don't earn a living because what you earn in terms of halal wealth that you give to your family also has reward in it and what you give to them in terms of the wealth that you have in inheritance is also rewarding because the Prophet said in the hadith of Sa'ad ibn Abi Waqqas an, in the year of the farewell hajj when he became severely ill, he says I was so ill that I thought that I would pass away. So the Prophet came to visit me and I said to a messenger of Allah, you see my situation, meaning I'm severely ill and I have wealth, I'm a rich man, have wealth and I only have one daughter who will inherit from me. So allow me to give my wealth in sadaqah. I want to give two thirds of it in charity. The Prophet said no. He said half. He said no. And then the Prophet said, a thuluthu wa thuluthu kathir. A third and a third is more than enough. Innaka intadhar warathataka aghniya khayru min antadharahum aalatan to leave your heirs wealthy is better than to leave them poor. They go and beg and ask from others. And that shows that therefore it is a concept as well. So these ahadith obviously have to be taken in that context, right? But the meaning is what? It's referring to a segment of people or a group of people who allow the dunya and the massing of wealth to divert them away from Allah, to make them neglect the rights of Allah Azza wa Or they have enough for themselves and their family and now rather than you know, uh, concentrating on the akhirah and benefiting themselves in terms of good deeds, they still want more and more and more. And that more and more and more doesn't really give them much more other than maybe you know, credit and, and, and street cred and, and you know, it raises them in people's eyes, but it doesn't actually, they can't buy more. How many houses can you live in? How many cars can you drive? How, there's only so much after which it just becomes uh, you know, like something uh, of a waste. Those people who spend so much time in doing that and it diverts them from what they should be using their time with. And that's why, as we mentioned, Sheikh Shaqeet says, he links in this surah so well to Al-Asr. Because you start off thinking, I need to earn for my family, I need to earn for myself, I need to have a halal living, I need to have enough for my children, my family. And then you have all of that, but no, I still need more because now I want to do this and I want to do that. And where does that stop? And before you know it, when you think finally, okay, I'm done, you're now 70, 80, right? and you can't do the good deeds that you want to do, and you can't do the ibadah that you want to do, and you find it difficult to move, and you have so many other issues, your illnesses and, and weakness and frailty and so on. And so that is often you know, the, the way that, that the dunya and time catches up with you. So this is the first hadith, the hadith of At-Tirmid. The second hadith, which is in Sahih al-Bukhari, the hadith of Anas ibn Malik radiallahu anhu, that the Prophet said sallallahu alayhi wa sallam, لو أن لابن آدم واديا من ذهب 
If the child of Adam had a valley of, of gold, he would love to have two valleys of gold. And nothing will satisfy him except dirt, except mud, meaning death. And Allah will show his repentance and forgiveness to whomsoever, to whomsoever repents to him. He said, the narrator, that Abu Walid said to us, that it was narrated that Hamad ibn Salama said to him, that Thabit said, that Anas radiallahu an said, that Ubay ibn Ka'ab said radiallahu an, kunna nara hadha min al-Qur'an hatta nazarat al-hakum al-takathur. We will think that this is a verse of the Qur'an until Allah revealed al-hakum al-takathur, meaning that this is how you know, important we consider it, that we consider it to be from the Qur'an until Allah Azza wa Jal revealed al-hakum al-takathur. Basically, saying that al-hakum al-takathur is speaking to that same principle and that same point, that a person will never cease to be satisfied, right? They will never be satisfied. They will never cease to want more and more and more, right? And, and there's narrations of this hadith, uh, other narrations where the Prophet said, if they were to have a value of one gold, they would want two. And if they had two, they would want three, right? And then the ending is the same. Nothing will satisfy them except the dust of the earth or the mud of the earth, meaning until they pass away. The third hadith is the hadith that is mentioned in the Musnad of Imam Ahmad and Al-Bazzar and Al-Hakim. And it is an authentic hadith, the hadith of Abu Hurairah radiallahu an, which the Prophet said sallallahu alayhi wa sallam, ma akhsha alaykum al-faqar, walakinni akhsha alaykum al-takathur, wa ma akhsha alaykum al-khata, walakinni akhsha alaykum al-ta'amud. I don't fear for, fear for you poverty, but what I fear for you is the amassing of wealth, right? To wanting more and more. And I don't fear for you genuine mistakes, but what I fear for you is when you do things intentionally, right? So it's not the mistakes that I fear for you, but the sins that you perform intentionally. It is not poverty that I fear for my ummah, but it is them wanting more and more. And the hadith of a Tirmidhi, or a fourth hadith, the hadith of in, in a, a Tirmidhi, in which the Prophet said, Inna li kulli ummatin fitna wa fitna tu ummati fil mal. Every single nation has its trial, and the trial of my nation will be wealth. Right? The trial of my nation will be wealth, when the dunya is opened up. And the other hadith that is similar to this wording of, of the Muslim Imam Ahmad, that I, don't fear, uh, that I don't fear for you poverty, but I fear for you when the earth will be opened up for you. And then you will compete in it as those who came before you competed in it. Right? Because the time of the companions of the Prophet and his own time is a time of relatively, in relative simplicity, right? People don't have much. Uh, the Prophet isn't wealthy. There's companions who are wealthy, but even they don't flaunt their wealth, right? It's not something, you know, Abu Bakr doesn't live in a mansion, right? Uthman doesn't have, you know, they're still living very relatively simple. And the wealth of the dunya hadn't come upon them. After the death of the Prophet after the death of Abu Bakr in the time of Umar, when they conquered the Romans, they conquered the Persians, they conquered these different empires, and now wealth floods in to the Muslim empire, then you have those statements of Umar when he's like, oh, things are changing and people are changing and society is changing and this wealth is changing us and so on, as it inevitably does. So that's what the Prophet is saying, that I fear for you those times because that temptation when it's on offer and when it's there, it's very difficult to resist because it is at the same time something which everyone needs, right? Wealth makes your life easy, makes things very easy for you, makes things, you know, allows you to do things that otherwise you wouldn't be able to do. And so therefore it is 
a very difficult fitna to resist. So those are some of the hadith that are mentioned concerning this surah or that con- the concept that this surah mentions. This surah uh, has a, a number of narrations as to the reasoning for which it was revealed or the reason, the cause of its revelation. And there are a number of different views or opinions concerning that. The first of them is what is mentioned also by Ibn Abi Hatim, rahimahullah, in his tafsir. As the opinion of Ibn Buraida, he said, Al-Hakum al-Takathur was revealed concerning two qabilas, two tribes from the tribes of the Ansar. The Ansar are the people of Medina. The first tribe is Bani Haritha, and the second is Bani Al-Harith. They are related to each other, Bani Al-Harith and Bani Al-Harith. He said, Tafakharu wa takatharu. They would try to outdo one another and compete with one another as to who has more. So each tribe is saying to the other, we have so-and-so in our tribe, who do you have? And they're like, we have so-and-so in our tribe, who do you have? Until there was no one left amongst the living. So then they said, okay, what about the dead? Right? Those people have deceased, those people have died. And they said, well, so-and-so was from our tribe and he's passed away. And they said, so-and-so was from our tribe and he passed away. And, he, and they continued doing so until Allah revealed, Al-Hakumu takathur hatta zurtumul maqabir. You will continue to amass and be distracted by this until you visit your graves. Right? So this is the first thing. Right? That not only are they competing with one another as to who has more you know, accolades or who has better people in their tribes and so on from the living, but it even goes on you know, to the people that have died and passed away and are long gone as well. And that shows you, and as we come on to the tafsir of the first verse, we'll speak about this in more detail, that takathur or the amassing of much or the amassing of anything isn't in this context of the surah referred only to wealth then, but it's people and it's, you know, whatever else, maybe anything which a person goes to extremes in that regard, it comes under that, uh, that banner of the surah. So that's the first opinion, the opinion of Ibn Buraida, that this was referring to uh, two of the tribes or two of the clans of the people of the Ansar, Bani Haritha and Bani Al-Harith. The second opinion, which is the opinion of, or the narration that is mentioned from Qatada, rahimahullah ta'ala, is that it was referring to some of the Jewish people, people from amongst the Jews. Some of them said to each other, we are more than you. And others said, we are more than you, right? So they were competing amongst their families or their tribes or whatever it was, that they were who had more and who had less and so on. Especially in those times, your strength was determined by the people that you had, the number of people that you had, right? So the the greater the number in a family, the stronger the family is and the more powerful. And the greater the relatives in that clan are, the stronger the clan becomes. And the more the clan numbers, the greater the tribe becomes. So Quraysh is Quraysh, and it has its might because of the number of people it has. And within Quraysh, the biggest clans are like the clan of the Prophet and the clan of Abu Sufyan and the clan of Abu Jahl because they are the most in number. Whereas the clan of Abu Bakr and Umar are less in number. They are smaller clans, and so they're not as powerful, and they don't have as much pull. And that's why Abu Bakr's father isn't from the chiefs of Quraysh. And Umar's father isn't from the chiefs of Quraysh. But the Prophet's uncle is. And Abu Jahl is. And Abu Sufyan is. And are from the chiefs of Quraysh. And that's why Allah Azza wa Jal, he mentions this in Surah Al-Kahf, in the story of the man with the two gardens. When he's showing arrogance to his uh, friend from the believers, what does he say to him? أَنَا أَكْثَرُ مِنْكَ مَالًا وَأَعَزُّ 
nafara. I have more wealth than you, and I have more number as well. Right? And number means that because I have more people coming to my aid, I am stronger than you as well. So that's the first two opinions. The first is Ibn Buraida is referring to two of the people, two of the clans of the Ansar. The second opinion of Qatada is that it's referring to the Jews or people from amongst the Jewish community. The third opinion is the opinion of Muqatil and Al-Kalbi. And they said that it was referring to two of the tribes of Quraysh. Two of the tribes of Quraysh, right? And again, you know, like going back to the, the surah being Makki or Madani, if you take the opinion of Ibn Buraida, that this surah was revealed concerning two of the tribes of the Ansar, then that supports which view that it's a Madani surah, right? And so therefore, like these, this stuff also, you know, comes together. And that's why you have that difference of opinion. If it is concerning the Ansar, it can't be a Makki surah. How can it be a Makki surah? It's referring to the people of the Ansar. It's revealed because of what happened with the Ansar, right? So therefore, it's referring to, you know, it's a Madani surah. But Muqatil and Kalbi said, and likewise, the Yahud as well, or, you know, the Jews, even though, you know, you could say, no, but that's more generic. But generally, the, the verses of the Quran that refer to the Christians and the Jews in detail are more in line with uh, the Madani surahs. Muqatil and Kalbi said that it refers to two of the tribes of Quraysh, right, which brings us back firmly into the Makki period. They said it is Bani Abd Manaf and Bani Qusay and Bani Saham ibn Amr that they had amongst themselves, amongst their noblemen, they had, and their, and their nobility and their chieftains, they had this argument as to who was better, who had the better leaders, who had greater numbers, who was more known, had more accolades, who had more accomplishments, and so on. And so they continued to debate with one another until they couldn't do so anymore. So they said, now that we've stopped, you know, we can't decide, let us go back to our ancestors. Right? It's meaning to those people who have passed away. Let us go to our ancestors and see from amongst them who was better, who was greater, and who had more in number. Right? And so they continued to do this until Allah Azza wa Jal revealed these verses, Al-Hakum Al-Takathur, Hatta Zultumul Maqabir. The fourth opinion, right? so we have so far the Ansar, the Jews, Quraysh. The fourth opinion is mentioned by Ibn Adil in his book Al-Lubab Fi Ulum Al-Kitab. This book is Ibn Adil is from the scholars of Tafsir. Ibn Adil al-Hanbali uh, lived in the 9th century of the Hijra, so around the 15th century CE. Uh, he has a, a famous, like a big book of Tafsir, but is not much is known about him individually as an author, right? No one really knows when he was born or when he died. Like, we don't have much information concerning him, but he has this, except that he's from the Hanbali Madhab, and he has some other books and works in fiqh and so on. But he has this work of Tafsir where he's gathered like lots of different narrations together. He mentions a fourth opinion, and that is the opinion that is uh, from one of the scholars of the Tabi'een by the name of Amr ibn Dinar, rahimahullah ta'ala, that he said that it was revealed concerning the tujjar, the businessmen, that they would have this type of competition amongst themselves, this competitiveness, who has more money, who has you know, more wealth, who's richer, who's better, all that kind of stuff, competing with the Joneses and so on. And so it was revealed concerning the tujjar, the businessmen and the traders. Those are four opinions that you have. None of them are mentioned in the hadith, right? It's not like none of them are from any companions, but they are the four that you will find in the books of tafsir. And Imam al-Qurtubi, rahimahullah ta'ala, said after mentioning a number of them, he said, and the correct opinion is that it includes all of them. 
includes all of them. So just because you had this thing happening with the Ansar, doesn't mean it's exclusive to them. So therefore, it includes those people from the Quraysh that were doing the same thing, and the Ansar who are doing the same thing, and the Jews who did the same thing, and businessmen who do the same thing, and so on. And so the surah, he says, is a Mecki surah, but it's not, you know, it's not beyond the realms of, of reality or imagination that there were many people who did this over the period of those, those 20 odd years of the Prophet's life. And so therefore the surah applies to all of them, right? And the fact that something happens and, it's, and the verse is applied to that situation, the Jews are doing this, and so it applies to them, the Ansar do this, it applies to them, the Quraysh do this, it applies to them it can refer and apply to all of them. So he says, it is something which refers to all of them. He says, Al-ayah, It includes everything that's mentioned and more besides. So the verse refers to anyone and everyone who does this and Allah Azza wa Jal knows best. Uh, I think we'll, we'll stop there inshallah ta'ala for today. Any questions from any of you guys? No? Okay, so inshallah we'll, we'll stop there. Barakallahu feekum. وصلى على نبينا محمد وعلى اله وصحبه اجمعين